Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Father God, um, we lift up to you, you your word. We praise you for it. We thank you for giving it to us that we might know you better, that we might know you more. Lord God, we pray you're glorified here in this place through us because of who you are, what you have done. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Barnabas, brother, I have this great idea. I, I say that we return to the churches where we shared the word of God. The cities, every city that we proclaim the word of the Lord, and we see how they are. Paul, you know how I feel about this. I really, really think we need to take John Mark with us. What do you mean? Barnabas, let's get this straight. When we, when we go out, we need to be sure that we guard the integrity of the message that we take out. This is the gospel mission. Paul, listen to me. Mark is my cousin. I know him. I know he has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith he just needs nurturing. He just needs a mentor. This is perfect for but, him. But Barnabas, this isn't just any journey. We've been called by God to this work of, of spreading his kingdom to the end of the earth. We don't have time to waste. This is the gospel, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about here. Paul, I know this work is significant. This is the most significant work in the history of mankind. And that's why we need help. Help. We should not go do it. Mark abandoned us. He left us. Don't you remember that? We must do all we can to ensure that the work is successful. I, we, we can't do it with people who won't follow through. The work is too important. Don't you get it? Paul, don't you get it? What if I hadn't given you a second chance? Remember? Remember you and me? Remember when you came to Jerusalem? Isn't this all about restoration, the whole message we have? Didn't Christ die so that we might be restored to him? Yes. I, of all people, know how important the work of God is. The grace. And that is why I cannot allow someone to go along who could endanger the mission. What if one of the weaker brothers saw Mark running away again? It could cause damage to the church. If Mark is seen as a leader and he flees at the first sign of trouble, I can't take the risk. Barnabas, we're going to have to go our separate ways. However, that sharp disagreement actually went down. Luke presents us with a passage that just simply describes to us a situation. No blame, just simply what happened. I think if we look at this passage through the lens of the entirety of Scripture, we're going to see a few things that are here for us to examine. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Acts. Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 36. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Reading God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. We have in our passage here today two different men, both called by God to the gospel mission. You might recall from Acts chapter 13, verse 2, but before that first missionary journey even took place, it says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God set these two men, both of them, apart for the work to which he had called them. Both godly men. We've already seen it through the pages we've read tried and true believers with a lived-out love for God and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Their, their faith seen in who they are and what they've done with their lives. Paul and Barnabas are like-minded in Christ, aren't they? But they're both very distinctive in their giftings and their personalities. They both love the Lord, but they're both very different people. Paul, he was a gifted teacher and apologist, somebody who could argue out the word of God with other people and convince them uh, of the truth and the reality of Christ. You may recall from chapter 9 of Acts how immediately following his conversion, Paul went into the synagogues and proclaimed Jesus as the Lord, as the Son of God. How he confounded his opponents with his apologetics his knowledge of God's word as a Pharisee under the, sitting under the tutelage of Gamaliel, it just made him a powerful teacher and preacher. As a Pharisee, a man of the law, right? He grew up that way. He learned that way. It was an ingrained part of his personality to protect, to guard, and to pass on that which had been entrusted to him. To get an idea of Paul's personality, all we have to do is read some of the passages from what he wrote to us and to others. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Gives you an idea as to just how Paul thinks, doesn't it? To Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, 
which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day which has been, and that which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guardianship, unashamedness. In the same letter, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to weak and, and lousy men. No. Paul says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Faithful men, good soldiers who don't get involved in civilian pursuits, athletes, Hard-working farmers. This is what Paul sees the Christian life as. These things, faithfulness to the word, accurate teaching, being unashamed of the things of God, stewardship of the mysteries of God, these are deeply ingrained in Paul's point of view of what the Christian life is and how he lived it out. But these things are not just Paul's point of view, are they? It's not just Paul's concerns here. God has a very high regard for faithfulness in passing down the knowledge of him. Passing it on to others, passing it on to future generations. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, bold, loud, proud God. All that he's done for us, put it out there. Know it inside, have it on the outside. Faithful, unashamed. It is important to our Christian walk that we do nothing to compromise the witness that we are called to bear for the sake of Jesus Christ. This fits Paul's character from his writings and his appeal in, in verse 38 of our passage today, where he, he says, Paul thought best not to take the, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. This, this integrity to God's word, this faithfulness and unashamedness, willingness to suffer, it's vital not just to Paul, but to God, and therefore to ourselves. We should all strive 
for that same faithfulness to God and His Word. To be good stewards, unashamed, bold, and willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. How's your integrity doing when it comes to God and His Word? Everywhere. That's integrity. Everywhere you go. Is it on your heart? At school, at work, at church, at lunch, in your conversations? Is there a faithfulness to the Word of God implanted in your heart? That spirit that lives inside of us as Christian men and women, brothers and sisters in the Lord. How's your boldness? Are you not only willing but desirous to put your faith, statements of faith out there for other people to see? Wherever you might be, work, school, play, on the softball field when the ball hits you right in the finger and it hurts like I'll get out. How's your faithfulness? Your unashamed stewardship of God's word. Does your faith show itself everywhere you go? Or, or is there a chance that when the discomfort comes or, or the trial comes, that we will flee like Mark did in that first missionary journey when he, he just abandoned Paul, and Barnabas, and the whole mission. Do we want to be faithful or flee? What, what measures are we willing to take to ensure that the gospel is not compromised in my life? As I think about, I know this is entirely different for me. It's easy for me to say, to say, when I go to work, right? I'm supposed to be talking about the things of God, talking about the things of Christ. That's what I do, right? It's easy for me to say, but we all need to be there, don't we? When you go to work, What measures will you take to be sure that the gospel is a clear part of what everybody understands you are? And when they see Bill, they say, that's a Christian man. Or they say, that's there's something different about him and I want to know what it is. What's going on in his life? What's up with that Bible on his desk? Whatever means you might have at work to display your faith, your love for God, what measures will you take to ensure that the gospel is seen in your life and not compromised? Where will you be willing to take a stand as a believer who's been redeemed with so great a salvation to be purchased with the not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificed in your place, sacrificed in my place. Where will we take a stand? According to Paul, it should be everywhere. Faithfulness is significant, important. Barnabas, he was a gifted teacher. And his, his very name, Barnabas, means the son of encouragement. 
His given name was Joseph. But the apostles started calling him Barnabas for a reason, didn't they? God made him to be one who would and could lift up and encourage those who were in need. We're introduced to Barnabas in chapter 4 of the book of Acts as he sells a field that he owned, and he lays all of the proceeds at the feet of the apostles to provide for his church family without a second thought about his own good or what he could have gotten out of the money or the field. He just gives it away to encourage and to build up his church family where they had need he wanted to provide. Not thinking of his personal gain as we saw him contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira who sold something as well and then they they tried to save some for themselves and get something out of it, right? Not being like them. But Barnabas gave freely to the building up of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in chapter 9, what happens when Paul comes to faith and he starts being this great teacher and apologist in the synagogues, but then he goes to Jerusalem and what happens? They hold him out at arm's length. We don't trust you, man. You've been out there killing Christians. You've been out there putting people in jail. We don't trust you. They push Paul away, but Barnabas comes in and he comes right alongside Paul. And he brings Paul into the apostles and says, look, guys, This is what I know about this man now. There's been a real change in his life. There's been a real change in his heart. They may never have accepted Paul, except for the work of Barnabas or someone like him at least. Someone willing to risk their own for the sake of somebody else. These things. Second chances encouraging and building up the church body. They are deeply ingrained in Barnabas' view of, of the Christian life and how it should be lived out and how he actually lived it out. But this isn't just stuff that Barnabas holds to. This isn't just Barnabas's way of life. This is God's way of life. God has a high regard for forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. There's a passage in Matthew where Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, how many times are we to forgive? And Peter thinks he's being real good and he says, seven times? Because the Jewish law at the time was, what the rabbinic law was, three times is more than sufficient. That's really gracious, three times. So Peter thinks he's being good. He says, seven times, Lord? What does Jesus reply? Seventy times seven, right? And the the idea there is that it's this outrageously large number in Jewish thought. It's, It's this without limit, forgive. Without limit, give grace. Because without limit, we have been given the grace of God. In fact, God thinks so highly of reconciliation and redemption that he sent his own son to the cross to die in our place. Not after we had become good. Not after we had done something to make ourselves worthy. But while we were still sinful, dead, drenched in darkness, the grace of God stepped in. In the Old Testament prophets, we see it over and over again. Israel falls away and God seeks to restore them to himself. He always brings them back 
And he always gives them a message of hope. There is a hope in the future. God inspired Paul later to write the words of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's important in our Christian walk that we reflect the character of God in restoration, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Building up and encouraging the fellowship of Christ in his body. This, this fits with the character of Barnabas and his gifts, doesn't it? And we see it in his desire to include Mark once again on their missionary journey. Grace and mercy in our witness is vital. How's your grace and mercy? Who's the one that hurt you that you need to restore? Who's the one who has damaged you that you might be able to come alongside? Who murdered others, put others in jail, separated children from parents? You can be the one who comes alongside them, nurtures them, encourages them. Are you able and willing to forgive as we have been forgiven and bring somebody else along? This is the tough stuff, but this is the real stuff of the Christian walk. This is the stuff that's going to make you distinctly different from the rest of the world. Everybody loves their friends. Everybody loves those who love them. The Christian is called to something greater a life of, of grace and mercy and nurturing and encouragement that just pours out on the people around us. Are you ready to, to mentor the next generation of believer? As I have people here and now from every service that we have, those who are older, are you willing to reach down and, and pick up the phone and call up somebody who's 20, 30, 40 years younger, 50, 60 years younger, whatever it might be, and say, let's go to lunch. I just want to share some time with you. Because you have 30, 40, 50, 60 years of Christian life that you could build in and share with them. Are you young? Is there somebody older in this congregation that you could grab and say, I want to have coffee with you. And they say, I don't like coffee. It kind of gives me heartburn. You say, all right, I'll get you some water. Let's just go have some lunch. Because I want to know you. It's going to take both ways. It's going to take the younger reaching up and the older reaching down. And if we could catch this idea of actually being involved in each other's lives... We will be a church set apart. We will be a church that lives out what God has called us to, to be Barnabases. And, and let's not put it off. Do it today. Tomorrow. 
Don't, don't let it go a week or a month because I guarantee you'll forget about it because it's not natural. But pray that the Lord, His Spirit, would lay it on your heart, would lay someone on your heart to reach out to, to encourage, to build up, to become a part of their lives. I guarantee it'll be good for both of you. Even if you find things that are so different about the both of you. But then you realize, what, what do we have in common? Christ. We share Christ. That's what binds us together. On the one hand, we have faithfulness to the gospel and God's word, unashamed endurance, stewardship of the mysteries of God. On the other hand, we have nurturing and encouragement, forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, stewardship of the people of God. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? We all want to be right, right? Hence the sharp disagreement that happened between these two fine men of God. God's word contains a lot of absolute truths, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed that some people are more gifted to live out certain truths than others? While God is infinite and perfectly balanced in all aspects of his character... We have certain tendencies. Some are, are more merciful. Some are more righteous. Some are more evangelical and outgoing. Those extroverted personalities. Some are more quiet, loving, giving. We're all created by God with different personalities and characteristics, different gifts and abilities that should work together to create one body in Christ. Romans 12, 3-8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, everyone, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Each of us gifted differently. Each of us, every, every different part of the body designed to complement one another. But how will we know if we complement one another if we don't ever come together? If we don't get to know each other and the gifts we have and, and share in those things together. Luke presents for us a situation just, just for what it is. And we've seen before us two great men of God, individually gifted, who in their short-sightedness, because we are all short-sighted sometimes, aren't we? They, they only recognized one aspect of God's character that was their individual bent or vision, their individual personality. We all have it in ourselves. I, I wouldn't do it that way. 
We argue over how things should be done. We often don't recognize that our differences are intended by God to complement one another. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Yes. All these things that, that each of them were striving for were aspects, are aspects of godliness. And what did the church do? The church recognized that and commissioned two teams. Barnabas went one way, Paul went the other, both by the grace of, the, of God and the commissioning of the church family. The church gave opportunity for each man to exercise his gifts and his personality for the benefit of the church universal. There may be times for us to part ways, work out our given gifts. God can use even this. But it is an important aspect of Christian living that, that we strive to see how our gifts are designed to complement one another. That, that as a church body, we come together to encourage and build up the body of Christ as a whole. Because of who Paul is and what he did with his gifts, we have a, a huge portion of the New Testament passed down to us. He wrote 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament as we have it. Because of his integrity and faithfulness to the Word of God, carrying out the gospel mission as he was gifted. But because of who Barnabas was, in mentoring Mark and encouraging him and bringing him along, Paul was later to say that Mark was a, a huge benefit and encouragement to the work that Paul himself had been called to. In his later writings, he tells us that Mark is an asset to his ministry. 2 Timothy 4.11, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. Thank God for Barnabas, huh? As Christians, we need to have the integrity of Paul unashamed faithfulness that remains steadfast under fire everywhere we go. As Christians, we need to have the heart of Barnabas to be encouragers who, who build one another up, nurturing, mentoring, caring, build into each other. Well, let's look at the long-term benefits of how these things work together to strengthen the church. God can use us separately, but the body was designed to work as a whole, wasn't it? Appreciating one another for the gifts God has given us, working together for his glory. Let us be stewards of God's word and stewards of one another, united as one body, using our gifts for his greatest glory, not our own, to fulfill our Acts chapter 1, verse 8 call, to bear witness where we are, to our greater community, all Pennsylvania, the United States, that, that we would be the ones who stand and people say, those people in that place, it started there. United as one body to share the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the call that you have placed upon our lives. And I praise you, Lord, for the men of faith that came long before us. I praise you, Lord, that you, you presented them to us just for who they were, who they are. How you made them, how you gifted them, imperfections and everything that they are. That we would realize that we too are right there. 
We need to answer your call to be a body, to be faithful, to be stewards of one another. Lord, give us strength that we do not have. Grace us with your spirit to live within us, to place one another upon each other's hearts, to recall to our minds your word as we go through our daily situations, to recognize the value of knowing you, living that out. Lord God, I pray that you would do something great here at Alden Union. Lord, we pray for revival here in this place to start here and to spread. Help us to walk in the ways that aren't comfortable. Help us to do the things that aren't natural, but are the things of you and your word. So we praise your holy name this morning together as a family in Jesus Christ. Amen.